Welcome back to Book Club 2022. I'm your host, Belle, and I'm joined here by the lovely Alexa. And today we have a very special Valentine's Day episode to start the year off right. Uh, But before we do so, I would just like to acknowledge the medical people that are the traditional custodians of this land. I would also like to pay my respects to the elders, both past and present, and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So, Alexa... Any good summer reads? Yeah, so uh, we're back at, obviously back at uni, um, Mm -hmm. but before we were, I did read Beach Read by Emily Henry, um, a friend, very popular book talker. She recommended it to me. Um, It's her favourite, so I obviously had to read it. Um, And it was surprisingly very good. I take TikTok recommendations with a grain of salt, um, but it was very, very good. Nice. How about you? I yeah, I've also read Beach Read. I enjoyed it. Mm. It was fun. It was cute. Um, there were some moments which were a little questionable, but absolutely. I I think it, it's it's a fun it's a fun read, and I always like reading books about people who write and read, mm-hmm. which is um, why I really enjoyed Breasts and Eggs by Miko Kawakami. Mm-hmm. Miko Kawakami. Okay. Um, she. Yeah, the book is fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was a bit of a journey. You have to kind of uh, get through a lot of the introductory character building, um, but the prose is really lovely. And by the end of the book, or even the middle of the book, you get this sense of a really fully formed character um, that is kind of very realistic. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a stunning, stunning book. Um, I think she's also written a very uh, popular book about bullying in Japan, which apparently is really, really intense. <laughs> so I do like this author, but I don't know if I can put myself through the torture about reading about bullying of kids. So we'll see. But it was a good read. Mm, yeah, I read it as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, um, beginning of 2021, nice. I read it. And it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, a lot of the prose definitely was like very, um, I guess some people would say it's purple prose, but I found it very like thought provoking. Mm-hmm. There were some very what moments yeah. in it that I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to keep going. Um, but you definitely by the end felt you really knew the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was really interesting, the combination because at the beginning, it's a short story that won a prize in Japan. And oh, then okay. she extended the narratives with the rest of the book. Um, so it's a really interesting juxtaposition almost between the beginning, which was the short story, and then how she expands on that in the rest of the novel. Um, so, yeah, really interesting discussion on like femininity and yes. what it means to be a writer, in, especially in like the gender roles of contemporary Japan, Yes, which was really interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I completely agreed. Yeah. Um, bit of a heavy one compared to what we're going to be discussing today. Yes, certainly. Um, <laughs> so, speaking of that, uh, today we will be talking about a book called The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Uh, this is a book that I have read before. I read it in 2019 and I really liked it. Uh, so when uh, we decided to do a Valentine's Day episode, I forced Alexa to read it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm glad you did. Good. Um, 
I was very hesitant to begin with because I've seen it recommended alongside Colleen Hoover and mm. things like that. So I was worried for it because I didn't know how well developed or how good it would be. But I am glad I read it because I did think it was very funny um, and very well developed, I would say. Yeah, I definitely remember being really struck by this book um, because of the issues that it discusses. Uh, So the Kiss Quotient follows our main protagonist, Stella, who uh, has autism spectrum disorder. And she is kind of being pressured by her parents to settle down and start a family, but she's really career-driven and she just wants to focus on her work. Uh, So she ends up hiring a male escort, Michael, um, to kind of help her get better at sex and intimacy um, and having a relationship so she can feel like she is ready to kind of take that next step. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but sparks fly. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Lots of sparks. Yeah. Wow. Um, And the two kind of end up having this interesting practice relationship, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, a trope that's quite popular at the moment, the idea of, like, fake dating. So popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for good reason. It is good. It is good. <laughs> um, so this, yeah, this tackles a lot of issues about kind of uh, self-acceptance. Mm. Um, Michael as well kind of is struggling with his own uh, issues about his family and, you know, his kind of work um, and career. So I really like that both of these characters had to go through like developments like it wasn't Mm -hmm. just our main protagonist um like michael really had some issues he had to overcome as well um but yeah what were your kind of first thoughts and impressions of the book yeah well um i binge read this in preparation i read it in about three hours at 10 o'clock at night um and when i first went into it some of the dialogue is absolutely hilarious um one of the ones that stands out to mind is when Michael's like in the gym and he's thinking about Stella and like he's like I have to mentally punch myself in the dick (laughs) and I was like what um but I thought that um the way the main character was introduced was so um interesting because you know she's very straightforward um and you think she knows her own mind but then um the book slowly and steadily unpacks her own insecurity mm-hmm. um especially towards the end in terms of feeling normal or accepted which i thought was done very well for a romance book yes um especially with the all hated troupe of miscommunication <laughs> which happened um the way that they worked through it was very realistic which I enjoyed. Um, And yeah, I thought Michael was great. I thought that it was amazing that we met his family um, Mm -hmm. and that the uh, Vietnamese culture was brought in so significantly and was like interacted with in a very fun and good representative way. Um, And yeah, I had to look up who he looked like, but I recognized the guy, (laughs) Daniel um, Henny or something. I can't remember. But yeah, so I think that it was, for a romance book, it handled a lot of the tropes very well. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, general impression was that it was very fun. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a lot beneath the surface, I would say, which is great. Yeah, and I think that's a really important uh, feature of romance novels is that they do kind of uh, tackle these larger issues um, kind of while maintaining a really fun and entertaining atmosphere Mm -hmm. um which i think is important because uh romance often gets 
you know, trashed on a little bit um, for not kind of tackling the bigger issues. Um, but I think that love and intimacy is potentially one of the biggest issues of them all, um, you know, when it comes to uh, people. So I think uh, to kind of say that is a bit, you know, disingenuous to what romance uh, the genre kind of tries to do. And yes, obviously, you know, the, the smut scenes are potentially gratuitous but also significant because we see Stella's character development also Michael's character development as he kind of realizes that he you know uh is experiencing something different with her than what he has with women in the past Mm -hmm. um and kind of waiting and being kind of more patient with uh her and her comfort levels uh and accommodating her but also wanting to accommodate her which I thought was a really, really nice thing. Mm. And it touched on male sex work as well, which is very, um, I guess, an untouched or taboo sort of subject in a lot of contemporary media, which I, and I thought it did it very well um, in terms of why he does it and um, his experiences with it, um, especially with, you know, um, wanting to have a relationship with Stella or wanting to do this fake dating thing is very different to how he approached relationships before. Um, So I thought it was also, despite being, you know, obviously about the main protagonist's um, journey with her sexuality and desire, um, it also did a very good job of expanding on the male perspective. Um, So, which is not a lot of something you see in romance. And also I would say to add to your point about romance being, you know, um, critiqued for being lesser because it's just about, you know, love and sex a lot. Um, Mainly I would say because it is a female-dominated genre, like you don't see a lot of um, male writers in romance or like male protagonists. Mm -hmm. I feel like that inherently not um, puts it below other literature, but people approach it with less... Um, genuine opinion which I think is such a shame because as with this book you know um, it definitely has such important things to say about intimacy and not just love and sex in general but romance as a whole and familial um, tragedy and familial trauma Um, there's a lot more to take away from this than just oh haha they got together in the end Mm -hmm. yeah a hundred percent. Yeah. Both of these characters, I think flip flop a lot in terms like they're not consistent characters, which I actually really enjoyed. Mm. Um, especially with the kind of depiction of neurodivergence that this book explores Stella's kind of like black and white thinking, you know, she goes from like zero to a hundred or like extremes, um, which I think I saw a few kind of like criticisms about that, um, on the reviews of this book. But I actually really enjoyed it as a kind of incorporation or uh, representation of neurodivergence um, in that way. And kind of, as you said, she does kind of present herself a little bit as kind of a bit closed off at the beginning of the book. But then we begin to see that, you know, she is insecure about, you know, being different. And I think that's really important to represent. Um, And I think we're at, at, at a bit of an interesting point culturally where a lot of people want to read about people who are really kind of already at that point of self-acceptance and they're celebratory of their you know like sexuality or uh, neurodivergence or disability or whatever it is and they don't kind of have that 
continuing um, like uh, issues with self-acceptance. Um, and I do understand that. I understand that you want to see in media or you want to consume media that makes you feel hopeful and kind of good if you are also struggling with those issues. But at the same time, I think it's really good to show characters who are struggling because, you know, it's a part of life and these things don't, you don't flip a switch and then suddenly you're like, I love myself. Exactly. <laughs> All my insecurities are gone. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a process that, you know, sometimes you have to take two steps back to go one step forward. Um, and even towards the very end of the book, um, there's this scene where Stella's kind of listing off all of her, like, I don't know, like symptoms or whatever that she feels like she has tackled with Michael. And she's like, oh, you know, I can uh, deal with like different um, touches and smells and being like overstimulated and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I still get really obsessed. Mm. And then kind of she goes through um, this scene at the end and then she's like, you know, actually those things are not necessarily things I need to overcome. Um and so I didn't I, – I kind of like that even after everything that happened, she was still going through this process and it didn't really feel like, you know, Michael solved all of her issues. Yeah, I definitely got that as well, um, that Michael isn't the fixer in yeah. this situation. Yeah. Um, at the at – the, right towards the end, spoilers um, – <laughs> You know, you've got this scene where she just decides that she's going to wear the things she doesn't like because of the way it touches her skin and she's going to do her routine differently and she's going to eat something different and mm -hmm. try and flirt with her co-worker. Yeah, and, like, quit her job. Mm. like And yeah. quit her job because it doesn't, you know... She doesn't want to get obsessed with things anymore. Mm. Yeah. And it was uh, very, like, a almost a 180 for her character, mm -hmm. but... That's the way it is. And same thing I saw with critiques of, like, the people, mm. um, the antagonists mainly oh, in yeah. this. Um, there was Philip. Yeah. Philip. And um, the a woman who slept with Michael a couple times. Her mother. Uh, his yeah, mother. his mother. <laughs> um, and a lot of people calling them, oh, you know, it was a shallow antagonist. Um, but I feel like they missed the point mm. that it wasn't about them it That's was true they weren't really the true antagonists mm. um from a literary perspective mm. more that the true antagonist was their their representation of how society viewed right. both michael's sex work and um stella's you know uh, disorder which i think the way it was handled then was that they could proceed um like still learning how to, to accept themselves, but at a good place where they no longer cared as much mm -hmm. about the um, set in stone, if you will, preconceived societal notions of both of them, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really uh, great to see um, because, as you said, there are a lot of narratives nowadays where people know exactly who they are. And it's particularly for our position, university students, I don't know who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that it's nice to read romance stories, particularly in the emerging adult world where they're around our age or a little bit older, um, that they don't have everything figured out mm. um, because it is also refreshing to read those types of narratives and connect with the characters in that way. Like um, some of the things that Stella was doing 
I felt like drawn to in terms of, oh, yes, I also don't know how to navigate this type of relationship mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so I thought it was handled very well that it wasn't always about being entirely okay in your skin for society, mm-hmm. which was really good. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I really would have enjoyed a little bit more characterization from Stella's parents. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah, because it was a really interesting dynamic that I felt wasn't entirely fleshed out, a little bit inconsistent, just like we begin with her parents. The very first scene is is her parents telling her that they're expecting grandchildren soon. Um, and that's what sets the whole plot in motion. So they're very fundamental to the story. But we don't kind of see a lot of them. It's mainly centered on Michael's family, which I did enjoy. But I felt like, you know, at one point the mother, there was a quote about the mother purposefully touching her because even though she knows that she doesn't like um, uninitiated touching. And I was like, well, that's not a great thing for a mother to do. Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, when, uh, spoiler, uh, when Michael and Stella break up for the first time and Stella's really upset, we have this like really nice mother-daughter scene where they're like, you know, holding each other and she's like apologizing or, or like just exhibiting a lot of character traits that she didn't before (laughs) Mm, yeah um i wanted to say Mm. um that scene and then at the dinner scene as well yeah um you know at the very beginning it's her mother who's the catalyst for i want grandchildren she's like okay i have to learn how to date i have to learn how to be intimate then we have the mother-daughter scene of it's fine Mm -hmm. you'll be fine and then towards and again at the dinner scene even though it was her father at the beginning who was very much like oh, you know, it's okay. She's just pressuring you. Yeah, yeah. But then at the dinner scene, Mm -hmm. it was her mother saying the same things. So there was this, like, background character progression Mm. of the dad maybe convincing the mother to back off or something like that. But we didn't get to see any of that. So it just felt very, like, oh, I thought you guys were the main, like, pursuer of grandchildren and of the whole narrative yeah um so yes i do agree it was a bit strange at times that they just kind of changed their opinion Mm -hmm. um yeah i yeah i think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity um mm. because exploring those issues with um parents and family um and neurodivergence i think is a really interesting topic especially because that pressure to you know, be in a relationship and get married and have grandchildren is, you know, something that we all feel. But yeah, I I think it was a missed opportunity to kind of create a bit more of a relationship between Stella and her parents, because it felt like that they were just some rich couple. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially in the dinner scene Mm. with all of that. It was like, come to the The gala gala (laughs) and sit at this table with the co-worker that assaulted you. Yeah. And just casually dismissed that, which I thought was odd um but on the flip side uh michael's family and his interactions with his family was very well done i would say i agree um in terms of how he felt burdened to support them um their relationship with um the father and not talking about it and then stella's um you know missing of the social cues in that conversation was really interesting to portray and understand Mm -hmm. um but then also, you know, Michael feel like he can't tell any of them 
because and none of his close connections and um I feel like that's also a facet that is often unexplored as well so I thought that that was really um interesting to see in a narrative of someone you know being ashamed of their you know sex work or their sexuality um which again is a very different side because again with contemporary society there's a move towards a celebration of open sexuality and open sex Mm -hmm. work which is fantastic don't get me wrong but it is interesting to see it explored because as much as that is a perspective i feel like it is very we've got a long way to go oh yeah 100 percent. it's not the perspective yes um, so I think that it definitely resonated, not with me, obviously, but I, I would guess it would resonate with ent- other people's experiences, mm-hmm. um, which was nice to yeah. see and explore in, especially in a fun little romance book <laughs> exactly. that's only 300-ish pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought it was well done for the time it was given. Yeah. And, and speaking of, uh, resonating with the experiences represented. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that the author, uh, upon researching this book, uh, kind of uh, came upon her own diagnosis with mm. a- uh, ASD, which I think is really important, you know, to have. Um, I mean, there's the whole conversation about own voices, but I think as well, just like more specifically um, with kind of writers feeling like they can represent themselves on the page. Um, I think in her afterwards, she spoke about how she felt like for the first time in her writing, she could just kind of be herself. Um, And she also spoke about uh, her daughter getting a diagnosis and her kind of beginning that journey for herself. And so I think it's um, a really powerful kind of, you know, um, message about how literature can even a romance novel (laughs) uh, can kind of um, spur you on your own kind of journey of like personal understanding and growth. And I think that this book, from what I've read, this book has um, helped a lot of other people, particularly women, because this book kind of does focus more on the like female um, perspective of of ASD, um, kind of identify within themselves like particular qualities. And I think as well it's important that she mentions – kind of the diversity of Mm. the diagnosis and how Stella's experiences obviously are not going to reflect everybody's experiences um, with ASD. So it's, um, I think it's important to remember, I I, I saw a lot of people um, in the comments kind of griping about how, you know, uh, Stella didn't experience this or she experienced that and that's not how it is and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, maybe that's not how it is for you, but you know, like obviously this author had a lot of her own personal experience um, into this character. Um, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It felt like I kind of was reading something really authentic. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, because she was, because in her author's note, she discusses it and goes, yeah, this was my experience. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be everyone's, but this is how I represent them. Um, and this is how I represent Stella because in many ways she feels like, me um was such an uh yeah such a fresh and genuine perspective to read um especially because uh contemporary diversity we're still getting a lot of stories told from white cis Mm -hmm. um 
people. So it was nice to hear a story from someone who um, does have neurodivergency and represents it in an authentic way because it's authentic to her. And I do think it would be interesting. I am going to read the next couple in the series because I'm excited about that. Um, But the second one I know is about his cousin or his cousin's brother um, who also has yes asd so i think that'll be interesting to see how that's represented and if it's any different um because even because he is a guy it's would it be different yeah um so i think that'll be interesting to explore Mm -hmm. but yeah i think that again you can't represent everyone you're not going to please everyone um but i do like that she felt that she was free to write her own Mm -hmm. narrative and she wasn't trying to uh, change her experiences to fit into um, the contemporary box, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, yeah. And especially because, you know, uh, so much about uh, kind of spectrum disorder is about kind of like masking yourself and masking your identity to kind of appeal to society. I felt like that was a really strong theme all throughout, mm. um, as as we kind of said for Stella, but also for Michael. Um, and it kind of felt like, every like there was a whole lot of kind of discussion about the idea of performance and like the perfect life and you know Michael as well had to undergo a lot of kind of I think unpack his gendered kind of assumptions about the man having the job and the car and the house um Stella was very wealthy because she was very good at her job she had a, like a niche job um, in like economics. So she made a lot of money and she had a really nice car. Yeah. Um, econometrist. Ec- ec- Economist. It was not an economicist. Econometrics. Econometrics, I yeah. think, was what she was doing. Yeah. But yeah, and same thing with you being able to give his sister an internship mm. um, and everything, I think it was. And yeah, and him letting go of the whole being bought expensive presents. And I thought it was actually very sweet, the whole um, boxer underwear. Oh yeah, that was so cute. When she like left him a little box because she was like, um, because it was part of her work Mm -hmm. that she analyzed people, like women who brought their partner's underwear meant that they loved them. So it was like, I have to buy him underwear. Yeah, because because I love him. Yeah, because it's a, you know, even if he accepts, it's like, an acceptance of my love, which was such a sweet way of seeing it. I hadn't thought about, like, love um, as straightforward as that before, um, <laughs> which was really nice yeah. um, and made sense to her character. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was really good. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to ask what you thought about his father, Michael's father mm. and that whole backstory, because I, I felt like it – it was a little bit superfluous. Like I felt like we could have got the same level of character development um, from his acceptance of like his work and his sexuality and his creativity as well, because he is a designer, um, like a tailor, um, without having to get into this murky area about his father. Um, The backstory is that his father is like a con man who conned women um, for money and he throughout the whole novel had this idea that he was going to end up like his father and like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree but what did you think about it 
for such an ominous character mm. that lurked in the background of all of his like family interactions and a lot of Michael's characterization itself, we didn't get a lot about him or not enough, I guess, for me to really see him as a, like not as a bad person, but, you know, to understand fully the extent of the family because it was kind of just, yeah. there were a lot of throw away pieces of information so even what you mentioned that he was a con artist who conned women for money um that was just like a throwaway piece of information that michael threw at stella um when she asked about it um it was just that oh look him up he you know um he's this guy who did all of this (laughs) stuff and then we kind of just move on yeah um she's like i don't care about that he's like okay (laughs) yeah cool Exactly. And and same thing with, you know, with his tailoring. Um, at one point, it was like, yeah, and my father used to, um, what's it called? Yeah, he used to bully me or um, oh, yeah, belittle. Did, yeah. Yeah, he didn't like my tailoring and used to belittle me for doing it or whatever. And it just gave me, like, I don't know if, if you've read The Mortal Instruments no. <laughs> um, but there's, like, this scene where one of, like, the YA protagonists, uh, Jace, um, he's just like, yeah, my father, I trained a hawk and then he killed it to show me. <laughs> and it just gave me, like, a similar, like, and then they just never touch on it again. And it kind of just gave me similar vibes. So for something that had, like, a traumatic experience and things, like, I feel like because we went through so much of the familial journey with Michael and his family and, you know, um, explaining their relationships and their dynamics within the family, I would have liked to have gotten a little bit more, I guess, mm-hmm. on his father's characterization and where he went even and why they were still being impacted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, it was implied, the different trauma and implied that, you know, they didn't love to talk about it, which completely valid and definitely represents a facet of the experience. And having not experienced it myself, I can't speak for, like, the representations of trauma as a whole. Um, But I guess for my personal understanding, I would have liked a little bit more about, you know, what even what the sisters thought of it or anything more, like, because especially because, you know, with your... Um, he says, you know, oh, but I still miss him. And I'm like, okay, so why? Because we didn't really get any experiences as to yeah. why he was a why he was a good dad or mm. things like that. We just got all of this, he was a horrible person, mm. and then one, oh, I still miss him, he's still my dad. But, you know, in other narratives, I can't think of them that come to mind directly, but there are other things where they explore, like, a little bit more of a multifaceted approach mm. to such a like because he was one of I guess one of the major antagonists for Michael's journey to and I guess because it wasn't Michael's story it was Stella's story yeah that's true that's probably why it was less about that dad experience um which I get but it would have been nice to have a little bit more than throwaway lines of he sucked he was great (laughs) yeah I miss him that sort of thing yeah, for sure. I I, th- I think as well, uh, there could have. I don't want to say we could have done without the plot because I think it served a purpose, especially with Stella meeting the family and her saying the wrong thing and offending the mother. Um, but I felt like the author was kind of scratching around for a bit of a like, 
you know, d- dark and troubled backstory to give Michael, which I didn't feel like he necessarily needed. I think that, you know, we don't necessarily have to have skeletons in the closet, big, nasty traumas to be complicated individuals. Um, and I think that's what Stella's character represented. Um, it's like she didn't have these horrible experiences other than just feeling different throughout her life um, mm. that she felt like needed to make her interesting. Um, I, I felt like the author was trying to make Michael a little more interesting. And I didn't necessarily feel like the father backstory did that. I felt actually it made him a little more cliche. Yeah, I actually, I agree. Yeah. And I think that it probably would have been perhaps more, um, not progressive, but more interesting to see him just struggle um, entirely on his own yeah. about accepting Stella as the breadwinner of the family, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and strug- against like the traditional gendered stereotypes as you mentioned before um without you know the hypermasculine presence that already has given him these ideals like one can have those oh, without yeah. <laughs> yeah without like a father um you know being this guy for him like you can still just any any experiences in your life you can impact your values it doesn't have to be something as quite as all-encompassing as you said, as just like a skeleton in the closet, this massive, because um, most people don't have that and still can have outdated or uh, differing views. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he was a very masculine, macho character in the sense like he did martial arts and he like punched the antagonist. <laughs> like he did. There are a few lines about like him feeling like, oh, there was a really cringe line actually about like, oh, you know, Stella made him, like, made his, like, caveman instincts sort of, like, kick it. I was like, oh, dear. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned, like, he's very um, sexually driven. Um, yeah. And, again, that, like, line of, like, I had to mentally punch myself in the dick because <laughs> I was thinking about Stella, which was, like, funny because I guess we get, um, especially from a lot of romance novels, it's more about, like, feminine desire. So I think it was interesting to think about that. Um, But also with his family as well, I would say it also emphasized the burden of the finances because there were so many of them, but they were very young. Like the first time we get introduced to the twins, for example, I don't know their names. I just know that there's the twins because he had so many sisters. Um, They were... Uh, fighting and bickering because they were young. They presented as very young. So I guess it emphasized how he was, um, you know, looking to support his whole family, how they couldn't do it. So he had to, you know, do the sex work and do, um, pick up extra job and extra work so he could support all of them. Yeah, like give up on his dream. Yeah, to give up on his tailoring in order to do that or just help him help his mother with the shop because yes of the whole no one else can yeah and the mother had cancer as well yeah right? and oh, him paying off those bills yeah um i did think it was very sweet um i mean it was cliche but it was also very sweet when she like put her trust fund into yeah. the system and he was like you didn't have to do that and she's like i'm doing it it's helping a lot of families not just yours yeah um which i think was really like a like a funny thing because you know, it, it was. Um, she didn't just help him pay off his bills. It was, I'm going to help a lot of people, mm-hmm. which I think was it tied into both her character and, like, the wider um, charity, I suppose, of the story and being acceptance. Mm. So it was sweet. Yeah. my uh, One of my favourite moments came towards the end 
um, of the book. I think it was like pretty much the end. Um, mm. But when Michael said to Stella, you know, I'm letting you know I'm going to propose to you in three months because I know you don't like surprises. And I was like, that is so sweet. And I think it was a really perfect ending because it tied into the very beginning of the book where the mother said, we're expecting grandchildren. I'm telling you now because you don't like surprises. So we get this kind of like, yeah, 360 um, duality and like double perspective on like her character and her neurodivergence, the fact that she doesn't like surprises. The start, it's an unpleasant surprise. It's like, it's a bit of a burden. It's like, oh God, I have to face this thing that I've been putting off. And then at the end, we transform this like unpleasant kind of uh, chore that she has to do into something exciting. But we still maintain the fact that she doesn't like surprises. Mm. So it kind of gives us character growth without giving us a new character. Yeah. And I think it was really nice that because it was like he's taken almost the position of knowing her so well, he feels like family, he feels like home, that sort of thing, Um, because he says basically uses the same structure that her mum did, Um, which I thought was, yeah, such a sweet moment. Um, And for most romances that do end in like a very cliched marital ending, um, I thought that this was done in a very well done way. that was like, oh, he's going to propose to her in three months yeah. and he's letting her know now. Yeah. Like, that was just a really gorgeous moment. Yeah. Um, and as you said, kept in line with her not changing. And at mm-hmm. the end, he doesn't want her to change, um, which I think is a great move because we've moved away from uh, romances where one has to change themselves, uh, like <laughs> Greece, where <laughs> someone has someone who is you know, different, um, has to yeah. change themselves. Where the girl suit. takes off her glasses and yeah. she's beautiful. And, you know, and the whole time, like, Stella is given, like, this whole, like, hot librarian, <laughs> yeah. this is what she wears sort of persona, um, and she doesn't stop doing that. Yeah. And he tailors things that work for her, yes. um, which I thought was really nice because it was not only, like, um, she trusts him with her heart, but she also trusts him that he will create beautiful things for her that will uh, work with her um, ASD, which I thought was just a really nice um, full circle trust. And again, as you said, didn't compromise character integrity. Um, it, you know, she stayed the same person mm-hmm. and so did he, but with beautiful journey and character development along the way, yeah. which was nice yeah a hundred percent yeah so overall i would definitely recommend this book me too good um (laughs) it was a uh, tiktok favorite and for a reason it is good sometimes tiktok is right yes and there's three in this series so there's this one the bride test and the heart principle i think that's the newest one 2021 yeah Heart Principle, I think, follows the cousin. Yes. And he's a bit of a bad boy. He's got a motorcycle. He's, yeah, he's got tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll read that one later. Yeah. And come back to it. <laughs> we'll let you know. <laughs> that was funny. And, mm. and like, he was very, like, he's a macho drug dealer guy. Yeah, he looks like, like he's he from the mafia. He looks like he's from the mafia, which was so funny. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. I think starting the year off right with a wholesome love story, you can't go wrong. Uh, But there are going to be a lot of new releases this year. So 
we're going to be trying to cover a lot more books that are coming out um, this year. Um, so, Alexa, do you have any books that you're anticipating this year? Yes. Uh, so, um, Holly Black. Yes. You might know her from her uh, Cruel Prince series, which is very popular. She is coming out with a new adult uh, series. Uh, it's, I believe it's called The Book of Night. Very exciting. Can't wait. Um and it's giving me like never night. He's got a shadow that's hungry vibes. I'm very excited about it. Um, v.E. Schwab also has a new fantasy series, uh, Gallant, I believe, coming out. And uh, Maggie Stiefvater, who wrote The Raven Cycle, she's wrapping up the Dreamer trilogy. So that final one, Grey Ooh. Warren. Yeah. Um, Grey Warren just got released for October 18th, I believe. So that's going to be extremely exciting. I cannot wait. Uh, a little closer to home, but we've got, um, as in closer to this contemporary date, uh, Sarah J. Maas's second book, uh, House of Sky and Breath, one with the blue cover, just came out today, 15th. And which series is that in? That's the Crescent City one. Okay, the new um, one. Yeah, so House of Blood and Sky, I believe. House of Earth and Blood? Earth and Blood. That was the first one. Uh, I didn't love it, but the second one's out. If you wanted to check it out. <laughs> what about you, Belle? What are your uh, most anticipated reads, if it were? I am looking forward to Sea of Tranquility. <gasps> yes. I can't believe I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. Emily St. John Mandel, my beloved, who came out with Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. That's recently got a stand series and The Glass Hotel. Yes, Sea of Tranquility is her new one. Very exciting. Yes. So I think it's scheduled for April. Um, but knowing Australia, we'll get it in like June. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than that. Fingers crossed, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also, I was looking at the school for good mothers. Yeah. yeah I've heard about by that. By Jessamine Chan. So that also came out in January, but I don't know if it's hit our shelves yet. No. Nope. So I think that's technically, it's like a, um, sci-fi, um, or like a kind of alternate, near future i'm not entirely sure um what the genre is uh dystopia i think yeah Mm. so that has been highly recommended um i know there's uh a new book coming out by the author of a little life um it's out oh it's already out yeah cool to paradise to paradise yes so Um, so that's i've heard good things about that one as well uh less traumatic apparently <laughs> um ocean Vyong Vyong has got a new oh, cool. one coming out as well i can't tell you if it's a novel or if it's poetry but i do know it's coming out soon ish mm. so that's going to be exciting um in the terms of ya uh we've got um the final couple books in the crave series coming out which will be interesting um we've also got a couple of uh, fun queer romances. Um, Casey McQuinston, who mm-hmm. wrote Red, White... I can never say this. <laughs> Wed, oh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. And say that three times quickly. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, and uh, one last stop. She's got a queer uh, YA book coming out oh, cool. called I Kiss Sarah, Sarah Wheeler or Sarah Wheeler um, about a girl who goes around and kisses all of these people and then disappears wow. and it's about like them trying to figure out why she kissed them and she leaves them all clues. Interesting. So it's like 13 Reasons Why but 
yeah. more wholesome or and like, more queer. Um, what was that John Green book? Looking for Alaska? Yeah. Or Paper Towns? Yes. Gives me Paper Town vibes. Yeah. But the idea of someone disappearing. Yeah. Hopefully that'll be good. Um, and You Spin Me Right Round um, is apparently, or Spin Me Right Round, I think it's out in America, but not here, always. Um, and it's like a gay retelling of Back to the Future, where um, he, um, the main character, he's banned from going to, with his boyfriend to prom because of something that happened in the 1980s. Oh. So he goes back to the 1980s to help this guy get a date and Aww. have it go smoothly, which I think is such a cute concept. That is really sweet. Um, so I'd love to read that. And then Café con Leche which I've heard is also fantastic about two guys who run a, um, like, opposing coffee shop. So it's like enemies to lovers but YA. Wow. Um, which, gorgeous. <laughs> we love to see it. Um, I think that's mainly my most anticipated. Oh, and um, Anatomy, A Love Story um, by Dana Schwartz. Um, it was endorsed by Neil Gaiman. Um, basically, it is, I read it, like, as soon as it came out. Um, it's and it's also Reese Witherspoon's YA pick. Oh, okay. Um, and basically, it is about this girl, uh, and she wants to become a surgeon in seventeenth century Edinburgh. Um, but obviously, female surgeons aren't yeah. done. So she makes a wager with the head of the anatomy school that if she can pass the anatomy exam um, without having attended the anatomy classes, then she will be able to be let in. And so obviously in order to study, she needs bodies. So she employs the help of a a resurrection man named Jack, um, who's also 17, and they go (laughs) digging for cadavers together. Oh, Um, my gosh. It was very good. Uh, Very cute. It wasn't necessarily about the love, more about her love for her career, Um, but there was still a very sweet love story, and it was... Very good. It gave me, like, um, the ending was very If We Were Villains vibes. Oh. So, like, it was, like, ambiguous. So I don't know if she's going to write another one or if it's gonna, she's going to leave it like that. But mm. either way, mwah. if you liked Stalking Jack the Ripper by Carrie Menesco, then you'll like this. It was so good. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, a little tangent. <laughs> well, if you are looking for books to read, then uh, you can't say that you don't have any recommendations. Um, True. Yeah. So thank you for joining me here today. It was lots of fun. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We had a lot of good times, a lot of good chats. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Tune in. We're going to say week seven for now about uh, we're going to do a TikTok. Was it worth the hype Mm. uh, book? We haven't chosen which one, but we will definitely think about it. If you have any that you'd like us to cover, leave them in the comments on the facebook and if you're interested as well you should be able to find us on tiktok and instagram pretty soon so look out for us indeed see you next time thank you for joining us bye Bye.